is NAB Show Live. Hello, everyone. Welcome to NAB Show Live. I'm your host, Nanath Kulkarni, live from Las Vegas. Um, we've had some interesting and wonderful conversations all day, and NAB's first, well, third day has been booming. Um, we have a wonderful plan panel planned out. We're going to be talking about the future of storytelling, for which we have some incredible guests joining us. And I have a co-host joining me, designer and futurist Popol Bisht. Um, without further ado, I'm going to get our guests introduced. Uh, we have James Cridland, uh, Richard Welsh, and we have Andrew Shulkin joining us. Um, would you like to start by just telling our audience a little bit about yourself? Uh, yeah, so um, I am a radio futurologist, so m m much like a futurist except a futurologist. Uh, so I work with radio companies across the world and help them understand what the future is. And also I put together a podcast newsletter called podnews.net. Wonderful. How about you, Richard? Hi, so I'm uh, the CEO of Sundog Media Toolkit, which is a cloud post-production company. Um, we have been working for the last five years to try and transition some of the um, more, more difficult processes in post-production for Hollywood movie makers uh, into the cloud mm -hmm. um, and take some of the heavy lifting out of the process. Awesome. How about you, Andrew? So I spent a long time as a cinematographer and was always kind of looking at how technology integrates with imaging. And now that we've kind of moved into this new place where information systems and technology are driving content, I've started to look at how imaging can impact a broader audience, what broader user engagement looks like, how do we bring in tools like machine learning and more immersive environments to help engage new audiences in new ways. Thank you very much. So I welcome you all to this panel. Um, so Popol, do you want to start? Start up? Yeah. Sure. Thank you, Nanad. Um, so I know that we're going to be talking a lot about what's new, what's big, and what's next uh, for the media and entertainment industry. But just before we do that, I want us to spend some time talking about what's at the core of today's topic and really of all of our works, which is storytelling. You know, and as communicators and content creators, we know that no matter what medium we choose, it's ultimately the stories that we're telling that connects us to the people. Right. Um, right? So storytelling, I think, as a practice and technique has really stood the test of time. And as we've seen in NAB so far, the future of storytelling also seems to be really bright and promising. So what makes storytelling so timeless? And I want to know from all of you, how is storytelling part of each of your work? James, would you like to start? Well, that's a good start. Uh, I mean, I think when you look at radio, radio is a wonderfully intimate medium, radio and indeed podcasting. Mm -hmm. um, lots of people will listen to the radio, will listen to a podcast alone. For radio, it's about 50% will listen alone when they're driving, when they're uh, doing other things. For podcasting, it's even higher, sometimes 90%. Um, and actually, you know, the most important thing then is um, having an intimate relationship with your, uh, with the person who's on the radio, who's uh, doing, you know, that particular podcast. Um, and actually, you know, it's, you know, storytelling is at the at the heart of what you do. I, many people say, what's the definition of radio? And I think that the definition of radio is a human connection and a shared experience. And actually having that human connection with that 
you know, shared experience, it might be a story, it might be a, uh, it, it might be all kinds of things, is actually a really important part. And it's probably why radio is, you know, consumed by nine out of ten uh, people here in America and indeed, you know, in many places in the world. Thank so, you know, tremendous, uh, tremendous future, I think. Mm -hmm. Amazing. So I, I think it's interesting that uh, if you think about how we tell stories right now um, compared to the kind of the source of, of that as a human experience where we would tell stories around the, the campfire kind of thing or, well, the campfire, the cave fire maybe. Yeah. But, you know, so we had storytelling as a, as a live uh, interactive medium. Uh, that was the first sort of iteration of what we now think of as storytelling. And that was an... In, a way in which you could tell a story but you can feed off the audience because you're reacting to the way they're reacting mm -hmm. um, and you can change the story as you go to kind of fit to what you think is going to be a kind of a compelling experience for that audience. Mm -hmm. If you look at what we do right now about you know when we make films or TV shows or radio programs it's kind of a static version of that so we tell a story in a way we think will appeal to the audience but clearly it's not it's not reacting to the audience live and it certainly is going to have to be kind of a best fit. Now we're really good at that. We make really compelling content. Um, and so it's not that we don't necessarily tell stories well, but I think we are actually moving to a phase in the, in the industry where the technology will enable us to be much more interactive with our audience, much more able to flex the storytelling around what the audience is, is uh, how they're reacting to that. Um, and there's so many things that are, are coming now to the fore in terms of machine learning and big data analysis and actually file formats and, and methodologies for actually getting interactive media to the audience. Mm -hmm. That means I think we'll, do, we'll see a shift in that direction, um, which will actually take us right back to the root of storytelling um, from kind of right back to the beginning of history. It's interesting talking about storytelling. It's so cliche. It's yeah. everywhere in this hall. It's yeah. like the theme of NAB this year. But it's, there isn't a more core novel, I think, for all of us as humans. Yeah. And I think, you know, you go back to the very earliest time, whether you're in a cave or you're sitting around a campfire or you're, or you're you know, reading to a, a two-year-old. Like, the, the notion of storytelling and the human connection in whatever medium you're working in is vital. And, I, and so I've always felt I come from a traditional background as a cinematographer, as I said. And, and so much of what great filmmaking is, in whatever medium that yeah. is, I think is about truth. And it's about when you as a viewer see something that resonates, that sounds familiar, that's, that, that resonates with you as something that's human. Yeah. And it's almost like you're just looking for that corroboration ongoing corroboration that like we are human this is a human story I felt that way I know people that felt that way my cousin felt that way like that's kind of what that's kind of when entertainment is in a way yeah. or I you know the, the fancy of what if this was true all those kind of things yeah. are all about relating all about human relationships and I think in some bizarre way maybe a hundred years ago when film became a thing and 60 years ago when TV really became a thing and, and with web video over, the, let's say, the last 20 years, we've kind of gone on a weird dogleg that has been focused on this very passive kind of entertainment. Because mm -hmm. anyone that told a story, any kind of, you know, even stand-up comedy is all about kind of requiring some kind of feedback from the audience and modifying that performance. And, mm -hmm. and I think that interactivity, we so kind of been on this dogleg of a very passive singular vector experience that's only at an audience as opposed to with an audience. And I think now that we have the tools, 
storytelling has always kind of used the best of what was available, whether it was radio, whether it was filmmaking, whether it was interactivity, any of those things, whether it was, you know, using Circle Rama or using Theater in the Round or in the Globe Theater, like all these media have always been about like, what are the best tools of the day that we can use to engage people? And I think now that we have all these crazy tools, it just creates newer efficiencies for doing that. Mm -hmm. So before we move on, very quickly, just in a word or a phrase, we're going to be talking about everything that's going to change, but what's the one thing about storytelling that's never going to change even in the future? Oh gosh, I mean, it, you know, it's the human connection. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Richard? Yeah, I think that it's, it's hard to argue with that. Yeah. It's the human experience. That's what we're conveying in the story, and that's what the audience can feed on. So it has to be about the human experience at its core. Yep. Amazing. Um, we spoke about what's not changing, but definitely we're standing at NAB. We're sitting at NAB where technology is changing. Every year we come by and like things have just modified so much. Um, the tools that are accessible now are simpler and more accessible for, I know you don't like the word amateur, but I'm going to use it anyway. But like the sort of lines between amateurs and professionals are blurring. And who, well, the, the storyteller is changing, who the storyteller is changing. So I have three questions for you here. Who is going to be telling the story in the future? Is it going to be the only professional person who knows their mediums really well or the tools really well, or is it going to be amongst all of us? So yeah, that's the question. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, as you say, I, I don't like the word amateur. Yeah. Or, or indeed, I don't like the word professional either. Yeah. Because, you know, at the end of the day, a great storyteller is a great storyteller. Yeah. What I've seen in 30 years in radio is when I started in radio, uh, it was hugely complicated mixing desks and, you know, and you had to record onto tape and you had to edit tape and you had to book a studio and everything else. Now you can make an entire radio show, a great sounding radio show on your laptop. Yeah. And your laptop will cost you $300 and away you go. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the big difference. And now what we're seeing is passion, passion podcasters, passion radio producers, um, passion storytellers who are creating great content um, and are able to create content that's just as good as somebody who is being paid to do that job um, because of, the, of the, the democratization of the tools that they actually have. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the most exciting things here at the NAB show is actually seeing that there is more and more technology being built for people at home, in their spare room, mm -hmm. in their garage, in their basement, to make great stories, and that's really exciting, I think. I, I think it's in, you can look at the technology, and actually a lot of it's driven by consumer technology, which races so fast now. Mm -hmm. Even just mobile phones, I mean, so much stuff that is uh, being developed for mobile phones is finding applications in many other areas of technology. Um, and so I, it definitely democratizes the ability to make some high quality content. But on the flip side, I think if you were at this show five years ago, there was a lot of concern maybe amongst people that, you know, user-generated content, which was exploding and yeah. still is, yeah. was going to completely dominate the, the consumption of content. But actually we're seeing the opposite. The budgets to make high-quality um, TV shows and movies and produce content is going up and up. You know, the big players now, like the Netflix and Amazons and now Apple and yeah. 
uh, and, and all the traditional studios are spending more and more on the production of high quality content mm -hmm. and actually it's still dominating the consumption. So I don't think that just having the technology mm -hmm. uh, available or some semblance of the professional technology available is enough mm -hmm. to actually usurp the, the craft effectively. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the point in the end. The professionals aren't professionals because they just went, oh, I'm going to be a professional. It's because they're good at it. Mm -hmm. And they are the, in the same way as the person in the tribe who was the best storyteller was the person who told the story, mm -hmm. um, you know, around the fire. And now the people who are the best storytellers are the people who become professionals. Mm -hmm. And they now have these tools at their disposal mm -hmm. that really are out of the reach of the average consumer. Mm -hmm. So you can't. You can't go and make Game of Thrones on an iPhone. No. You know? yeah. So I think with the, there is going to be more market for user-generated content because it speaks to very specific audiences, mm -hmm. but I don't think we're going to move away from produced content. Okay. So just as a quick follow-up to you, Richard, as an innovator, you yourself or your peers, do you think that when you're innovating, who's at the center of, of that innovation? Are you innovating then, so to say, for professional um, content creators who are going to produce something at the scale of Game of Thrones? Or are you thinking about the more passion uh, amateur storytellers? Or actually, are you innovating while thinking about the audience? Who's, who's at the core when you're conceptualizing? Well, I think that it's coming from a lot, of, a lot of different angles. I think actually sometimes you, you can get into a cycle of um, kind of, especially with very high value content of doing the same thing over and over again, because from a financial point of view, it's safe. Mm -hmm. So you, you kind of don't want people who are going to start taking loads of risks and doing wild stuff. But you need to find those people, um, people like Andrew, who do take risks and do try new technologies and do go and do things that normally would not be considered like the commercial way. Mm -hmm. um, so again, the talent is driving that. But I think also on top of that, we are becoming more aware of what the audience really thinks about the content. And we're able to analyze how they're consuming content in more and more detailed ways and apply machine learning to big data to get more metrics back about what do the audience really think? Because I think that analysis in the past was somewhat crude. Mm -hmm. And so we weren't really able to tailor very specifically to what the audience wanted. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a combination of factors. You can't really put it down to any one thing. Mm -hmm. But I do think at, at the center of it, it's about finding talent that is prepared to take a risk. And those people typically will be the people who drive the, the storytelling experience forward. And that inevitably in this world means pushing technology forward. How about Andrew? Yeah, I think it's a, this is a great forum to be talking about this because I think in a lot of ways, technology trends over the last 10 years, have, maybe 15 years, have driven towards selling a billion units as opposed mm. to making something one device that's really good. Yeah. And, and part of that is about a bottom line and earnings reports and whatever else. And so I think that now that you have tools, like you said, that are available to everybody to create, you know, kind of prosumer at a very high level, is amazing, and, and I think the, the kind of secret weapon of the moment is the fact that now you have a diverse audience that can create for a diverse list of platforms a diverse amount of content. So we should have a million cool things. At the same time, a camera does not a photographer make. And so I think you know that I have talents and I also have things that I struggle with. And I think the same is true with everybody. Everyone is kind of great at some things and not great at others, and I would like I would not give my mom a camera and expect her to tell her family story. She is, could do a lot of great things, but that, that is not her specialty. 
And so I think the vital, the vital piece is understanding kind of like where you focus your asset, and kind of like where you can tell good stories and, and how to, just because not everybody's a storyteller doesn't mean that anybody can't be a storyteller. Yeah. Right. But I think that the most important thing is figuring out how amidst this current climate of making a ton of content, whether it's localized or not, as it should be, making a ton of content, how to still keep the bar for quality high. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I think that's a really, really dangerous thing that we're kind of up against where you have technology companies that have different interests. You know, maybe it's about selling a ton of units, maybe it's about moving into a new market, maybe it's about, you know, collecting data or some purpose that's not yeah. connected to storytelling even though that's the widget. So at the point that that's what you're creating, how do you, how do you find the, the cocktail to deliver something that's still of a super high level of quality? Because yeah. without that curated, I think in a short period of time, we'll end up with glut and that's kind of unrecoverable. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I came across this very interesting article that on uh, YouTube, every minute, 50 hours of footage is uploaded and that's just ridiculous. I don't know how much of that is actually valuable, how much of it needs to be consumed. Right. But that leads me to, well, I don't know if you can, Let's see if you are interested in this question. What are the, what are the stories going to be about going forward? Are they going to change? Do you think uh, our audiences are changing, of course, because, the sh for example, if you take um, films are getting faster, editing is getting faster, the, the way you sort of digest the information is getting more and more faster, um, visual literacy is increasing. So how are these stories going to be and what are these stories going to be about? I'd be interested in your point of view because I think you know, you, you, you know probably more than anybody else uh, here how, you know, how audiences are actually changing. I think what's happening is users, uh, viewers are becoming users. I think you could define that mm. in that way. And, and that's not everybody, but I think there's, I watch my three-year-old, you know, trying to swipe on a screen, yeah. and I think that the kind of vernacular for how you consume content mm -hmm. is, we have so many different ways of consuming it. Mm -hmm. And I think that this kind of, the vector of how we've kind of like told people what to watch as opposed to listen is, is really what's, what's changing. And I also think that in the same idea of human storytelling, the kind of human connection, we are able to measure audience responses more than we've ever been able to before. So. Mm -hmm. Why aren't we doing that more often? I mean, that's, that's something that still confounds me about a lot of these processes. Yeah. And so I think it's more about, you know, user engagement doesn't have to mean that we're playing a full-scale, room-scale yeah. video game. Yeah. It, couldn't just, it can just be delivering content that feels more hyper-localized mm -hmm. and, and responding to what people are enjoying. Yeah, um, I think that's, yeah. sorry, I was just going to pick up on that point that hyper-localization, hyper-personalization mm -hmm. is really something that we're going to see a lot of in the next five years, probably. Mm -hmm. Um, where content is really tailored for you. Mm. So the story being told to you in a way that you're going to react best to it. Mm. But the center of it is still going to be the same human experience stories. That's not, as we said, that's not going to change. But I think it, naturally storytelling reflects the environment in which you're, you know, you're presenting it. So you know, life now is not like life 20 years ago mm. or 40 years ago. So yep. storytelling and the stories themselves will move on to reflect society. Mm -hmm. But I think, um, I think this personal experience that's driven by understanding exactly what the individual's habits are and what mm. things will appeal to them, and also what things will challenge them. Mm. I think we need to get away from this bubble kind of problem that you, know, you only get told things that will keep your attention because they're reinforcing your own 
prejudices and your own biases and so on in order to keep your attention, mm. which is driven effectively by advertising because eyeball time is money. And that's the, the only metric anyone cares about at the end of the day with that kind of giving you content. But the fact is that you know, if we don't challenge the audience somewhat and present difficult ideas and different ideas, that we go down a very dangerous path as a society. That uh, very wonderfully drives me into immersive storytelling. Um, well, of course, there's so many more platforms out there for immersive storytelling, whether it's VR, AR, MR, whatever you want to call it. Um, where do you think immersive storytelling fits into all of this? Do you really think immersive is the future of storytelling? I do. I, yeah. think, we'll, I think we'll see it um, mature in more subtle ways than it exists now. I think VR is still, I mean, it's kind of difficult to watch a whole feature length, like two hours of VR mm -hmm. for most people. Yeah. Some people will, but I think that's a long experience. But there are other ways to do that. And uh, I think um, that, yeah, there was a, you, you were talking uh, about um, a theater that they're building in Vegas. I think that's probably a really yeah. good example of how we should say about that. Yeah, there's, so there's a, there's a venue that I don't know if people heard about. It's called, it's called MSG Sphere. Mm -hmm. Madison Square Gardens is building this sphere, and it's this very impressive, large future of, of event venue. It will seat like 20,000 people, and the first will be here in Las Vegas, mm -hmm. and the second will be in London. Okay. And it's ultimately meant to kind of redefine what user experience is when you go to a live event. And it sort of demonstrates to me, I mean, it's, I'm glad you mentioned that because the, the thing that I always get a little bummed out about when I hear VR is that people only think of it as a headset. Yes. And somehow the hardware manufacturers, because that's been their business model, has been about getting, you know, driving the VR market with headsets. And it's, it's we're, about, we're transporting people. So the, an immersive environment can be a, you know, a fully built haunted house, like that is immersive. Mm -hmm. I was in the cab today and you know, there's like uh, something at, a, at an area hotel in Las Vegas and it's an immersive experience and it's a stage show, but it is immersive. I mean, that is immersive in its own way. Yeah. And I think we're just finding new ways of engaging people that surround, you know, sort of like talking more before about tools that are available to us. Just because you're creating something immersive doesn't mean it has to be 360 or that it has to be in a headset, or that it has to be anything. Yeah. There's a variety of different ways of engaging the senses, and I'm, I'm more interested in all the different ways that, that can be, as opposed to just being what yeah. we think of as VR or AR or whatever Absolutely. Yeah. That's wonderful. And we are almost ending in the first half, but before we end, I want to ask you, um, what does the most of storytelling look like in radio, if at all? in podcast. Yeah, and, uh, and I think it's interesting. I think there is a difference in user experience between radio on speakers. Yeah. You know, when you have radio, you're driving along in the car or you're listening to it at work or you're listening to it at home, there's a real difference there between how you consume radio and what you consume mm -hmm. with radio on headphones. Mm -hmm. um, because all of a sudden, as soon as you put radio on headphones, you are giving people the opportunity for on-demand audio, for much more personalized uh, audio, um, for telling, you know, telling stories and, and choosing content in a much more personalized way that you would never think of doing on a speaker. And I think it's interesting, you look at the, uh, at the, the data of how people are consuming audio mm -hmm. and actually there's less and less audio being consumed on headphones, which is just a live stream, which is a radio station, if you like. It's much more on demand. It's much more around 
podcasting, around you know the personalized experience that you might get from the NPR One app, for example, uh, here in America, where you have a very personal experience of the type of stories that it thinks that you are interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, you know, I think a lot of this comes down to the device that you're consuming this content on mm-hmm. and that user experience. And it's very interesting looking at smart speakers, mm-hmm. which work fantastically for live radio and do not work at all for podcasting. We just not worked out how to get podcasting working on a smart speaker. And there are various reasons for that. But I think that's a really interesting step. Wonderful. Thank you so much. So we're pretty much at the end of our first half. We're going to be uh, ending this first half on this very wonderful note. We've got lots of stuff to talk about and exciting conversations about the future of storytelling. Please join us in the next five minutes, I believe. So we'll see you again. Thank you.